0: I'm from Champaign-Urbana, just about an hour and a half this way in a wonderful town, a university town, and we have 40 or so nations of the world. And I know some of you may be right now, uh, your home country may be from South Asia, East Asia, and today is the biggest celebrated holiday in the world. It's the greatest migration of people in a week's time every year, and it's the, the Lunar New Year that's starting and some people call that Chinese New Year. We call it Lunar New Year. And so if that's you celebrating that, we celebrate that with you as well today. And you know, it's not too often when I get um, asked to speak that I get the topic of expectations. Come on. Yeah. That caused me to pause a little bit and, huh, what are we going to talk about? The first thing I thought was, man, maybe I'm a sex expert, and I didn't even know it or something <laughs> like that. You know, I can assure you that's not the case. But I want to hone in, if I can, on this. The, 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 one of the, the, the root word of that is expectations. And we enter all of our relationships, sometimes blindly, without even realizing it sometimes, with spoken or unspoken expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And they play out in all of our relationships, but obviously in our dating relationships, in our marriage relationships, we have them. An expectation is a strongly held belief that something should happen. It can happen in the present, or it should happen most definitely in the future. But if we're not careful, these expectations, they can be rooted in wrong motivations. And they can become huge disruptors in our relationships. They can become barriers that have to be torn down in our relationships, and it can lead to great disappointment. They can become limiting beliefs if we're not careful, or, or expectations. Now, if you extrapolate that thought, um, it most definitely can pay out in, this, uh, in the atmosphere and the realm of, of sex. And you know, uh, sex sexual intercourse is a word that means interpersonal communication. It is another form of communication. And so when we address the topic of communication, ultimately we're addressing in the marriage relationships, we're addressing the topic of sex. Because if we will communicate better, sex will get better. And that's a great place for somebody to say amen in this place. Come on. I'm talking to a few of you. I don't think I've ever said sex so much in the beginning of a message than I did just then. But it's going to be good. You know, when it comes to this topic, I'll say this, especially those who are, are in a marriage relationship are heading that way. But I had somebody say this to me once. They said, listen, uh, God's tool for discipling you will be your spouse. The primary way that God will chisel on your character is through your marriage relationship. He even said this, that God's plan for restoring you, reconstructing you, is marriage. And I thought, man, that's a new way to see that. And what I want to do as we begin this series is I want to draw your attention to the book of Songs, Song of Solomon, chapter 2. That's where we'll be. And we'll look at the wisdom of Solomon from two of his books. Now, Solomon wrote three books. And the first book he wrote is Song of Songs. Then he writes Proverbs, and then he writes Ecclesiastes, and they each represent a different season of his life. They say that Song of Songs was written as a young man. He's filled with passion. And then it says he wrote uh, Proverbs as a middle-aged man because it's filled with principles passed on to his children. But then he writes Ecclesiastes looking back on his life as an old man, and it's filled with pain. And so we're going to look at the Song of Solomon today, and we're going to look at some biblical wisdom for our relationships. Now, here's something you have to understand. This is filled with metaphors for marriage and also for sex. I mean, one minute you're reading it, and you're like, what are we talking about? Palm branches and pomegranates and all kinds of stuff up in here. Well, I'll let you use your imagination what that's all about. But he talks about also vineyards as an expression of relationship. And we're going to look at some good principles. And let me say one disclaimer. I am not an expert in here today. I have been married 20 years, though, this year. Come on, somebody, that's good. Yeah. And my wife and my oldest daughter are sitting right here today, so they can fact check me at any point during this thing. Now, but to be honest with you, we almost didn't make it. I mean, our first seven years, guys, were incredibly intense. And we would both say that they probably weren't good years. Um, We more endured them than anything. We were high school sweethearts. We knew each other. But we almost didn't survive the first four days of our honeymoon. (laughs) We went to Dominican Republic right in the middle of two hurricanes. One had just left and one was on the way. Great time. Let's go to the Dominican. We decided to go sea kayaking. You know what I'm talking about? You don't get to sit down. You sit on top. We're out there. The waves were bigger than I thought. She tried to talk me out of it. I said, no, I got this. We can do this. Been married all of three days. I got it. I realized it's too big. We turn around and we're like, oh, man, this is, this is getting kind of crazy. I don't know if we should do this. When a wave comes from behind and drives my paddle into the back of her head. Now, she, she said some wonderful words. Uh, you know, I, I hate you. We're never, never. You brought me out here to kill me. I don't want what's going on. Get me back on shore. You know, it was awesome, but then we'd do that, and two days later, uh, we discover something that we had brought with us on our honeymoon, because on my bachelor party, deservedly so, I got a little harassed by my friends, and they had saran wrapped me to a tree. (laughs) Yeah, well, no big deal, you know, whatever, but um, we find out about a few days into our honeymoon that that tree had been covered with poison ivy. I'll let you guess where that, right, that, that, the end of that story ended. It was all over. It was not good. So we had to overcome a lot early on in our marriage. Come on. So the things I'm going to give you today are some hard-won principles. But uh, Solomon gives, a, I think, a great little thought here in verse 15 of chapter 2. He says this. He says, catch for us. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The word catch there, it says hunt the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So, in the metaphor of a relationship, this is a healthy, blossoming, life-giving relationship. But embedded in here is a thought that there are little foxes that try to sneak into the vineyard. And historically, the little foxes don't just eat the grapes, but their primary nutrition source is the roots of the vine. And they will dig underneath, and they will chew upon the roots. And do that long enough, these little foxes will eat the roots of all these different vineyards. And before long, the whole vineyard has been corrupted And all the fruit has been destroyed and tainted because of a little bitty fox that just kept coming and nibbling on the roots. And you know what I've noticed in my own life? It's not the big things that destroy relationships. It's the little things over a long period of time eating at our roots that destroy relationships, that can destroy a marriage. And before you know it, something that was blossoming and full of life is now a symbol of destruction. And so what I want to do is, because Solomon unpacks this in his next book, Proverbs, you're going to see five foxes that he illuminates to us that always are trying to creep into any relationship, but specifically the marriage one, to disrupt and distort what God has for you. And I'm just going to give them to you, and we're going to quickly go through them. Now, I'll give you, there's five of them, I'm going to let you know, and I will speak to, predominantly to the first three more in depth than the last two lightly. But the first one, is strife, is the word strife. And strife is what we'll call a constant bickering or a constant arguing. Have you ever known someone who didn't seem to be able to communicate without an argument? Now listen, I give you permission to just nod and look straight ahead, but you don't have to elbow or anything, okay? Come on. Can I just say strife is a learned behavior? It is something that most likely was modeled for you that you picked up and now you wear as a habit in your relationships. Often, strife is just another manner of control. It's also a defense mechanism. When you get out of control, the primary way you can respond is if I can make it into an argument, then I can win and I can defend myself. It's strife. Here's what Proverbs says about strife, Proverbs 20. It says, it is to a person's honor... To avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Proverbs 18, 6 says, the words of a fool lead to strife. So strife often shows up in our words. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hate is a destroyer. Now, if you can, highlight, underline, underline that last one there, Proverbs 10:12. And underline this thought that says, love covers. There's an aspect of love that is a covering aspect. And when I say love covers, I don't mean love covers sin. And I don't mean love covers assault. But what I'm talking about when love covers, there's three layers to that. First, when it says love covers, it's saying this, that love chooses to believe the best about the other person whenever there's a gap. Whenever there's a gap between what they said they would do and what actually happened, I'm not going to jump to the worst. I'm going to cover them with the best and assume the best about them. The second layer is this, is not only does love choose to believe the best about them, but love protects the reputation of the person when they're not present to defend themselves. There's an aspect of covering, you know what, they're not here to defend themselves. I'm not going to let this conversation continue in a negative fashion because I'm going to cover them in this moment. Love covers The third layer, as it goes deeper, is this. And this is a good one. We're going to camp out here. Is love is quick to forgive. There are three things that a heart should be quick to do. A heart should be quick to believe the Lord. A heart should be quick to obey the Lord. And a heart should be quick to forgive. Because how many know this? In in our relationships, but especially in marriage relationships, you're going to have a whole lot of opportunities to forgive somebody. And obviously, forgiveness is a choice, but when we stop moving towards in a spirit of forgiveness and stop covering things, the heart begins to get hardened. Really, if you see in Scripture, you see this in James 3, 14 and 15, it it combines bitterness and strife in the same sentence. And often, bitterness is at the root of strife. Let me say it like this. I, I heard a story recently about a man in Tennessee who was watching his kids and it's a winter day, and they're outside playing. And he's in the house doing some work. The kids come back inside. He asks them, How was it? And one of the kids says, You know, Dad, it was good, but I think there's a bear asleep underneath our porch. <laughs> hey, he says, You're making that up. Didn't think anything of it. And they said, No, Dad, a bear's underneath the porch. And of course, Dad's, No, nah, I didn't think about that. Well, he couldn't shake it. About 30 minutes later, he says, You know what? I think I'm going to see if there's a bear underneath that porch. So he goes outside, true story, you can look this up. This is what he finds underneath his porch. A 700 pound black bear. He calls the DNR, the DNR come, they tranquilize that thing and pull that big old massive bear out from underneath that porch and uh, take it away, relocate it and the DNR, it was local paper, man. It was all, I mean, in your small town, Tennessee, man, a bear underneath the porch. That's big news. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that's not every day. But the DNR said something in this one. You know what they said? They, they were just talking about the incident, giving the weight and all this, and they said this. They said, It's important to cover your porches, the bottom of your porches. And they said these words because what you leave uncovered is actually an invitation for a bear to come in. And I thought about that in our relationships. What we leave uncovered will be an invitation for the enemy to move into your heart, for a bear to move. How many of you would say like me, I don't want a bear living in my heart? Come on. All right? Turn to your neighbor and say, cover it up. That's it. So we have the spirit of strife, and the primary point on this one is learn to leave nothing uncovered. And I would say this, when we do that, we begin to restore proper affections in our heart to one another. Here's the second one. This is a second, I would call these even spirits. This is the enemy at work, a spirit of jealousy that wants to move in, a little fox that imperceptibly can sneak in and erode your relationships. Here it is, jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. It is rooted in a scarcity mentality, not an abundance mentality. It breeds a spirit of competition. Uh, In order to get what I want, you you and I cannot rise together. So I got to get mine before you get yours. It breeds a spirit of competition. Now, you would say that can't exist in a marriage. Well, I think it can. Let's say that one of the partners in a relationship gets an opportunity to to further their career and you have to stay at home. Uh, Let's say that somebody gets the freedom of something and a little bit more freedom and the other one seems like it don't get as much freedom. It's so easy in a relationship imperceptibly for jealousy to creep in and begin to erode an important relationship. Here's what Proverbs says about jealousy, Proverbs fourteen thirty. it says, A peaceful mind gives life to the bone, but jealousy rots the bones. Or life to the body, but jealousy rots the bones. Bones means the inner person. It begins to root or eat away at the core of who you are. James 4, 2 says, You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask. The first murder in the Bible, Cain killed Abel, his brother, because he was jealous of what God did for Abel. So he killed him. This is what caused Saul to throw spears at his brother. Here's the thing about jealousy, and we'll we'll, we'll write this down, and I, and I, I think this is important. But God can bless you and somebody else at the same time. God has the, listen, when God pours out his blessing on another person, that in no way diminishes what he has for you. Have you ever heard the old saying, we've got pictures of the boats in the harbor, when the the water in a harbor raises one ship, it also raises all the other ships with it. So God's blessing on your your friends, God's blessing on your spouse, God's blessing on another church in no way diminishes the blessing on what he has for you. He's got enough for everybody. But here's what I want to talk about. And this is, I think, the the principle behind this. And this is good. When jealousy walks into relationships, honor walks out of them. Have you ever heard this phrase um, in the scriptures, mourn with those who mourn, but rejoice with those who rejoice? Now, I don't know about you. This is honest, open, transparent. I find it easier to mourn with those who mourn. I mean, let somebody have a bad day, and I'm having a good day. Oh, I'm really sorry for you. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Oh, man, I wish that wasn't happening. Oh, that's really bad. I can mourn with you. But let somebody get something that I wanted, that I was praying for, that I wish was mine. It gets harder uh, to, um, to say the right things and do the right things, to rejoice with those who rejoice. But when jealousy walks in, guess what? Honor walks out. Honor is the invisible force that holds the kingdom of God together. It governs the kingdom of God. It, when, when the scripture says the honor comes before the glory of God, we must learn to honor the Lord, and whatever we honor him with, he blesses. The scripture even says this in First Peter chapter 3. It says that... Um, if we don't honor our wives or honor our spouses, that it actually prohibits the Lord from answering our prayers. So the way we honor our relationships has connotations to our relationship with the Lord. Honor is a big deal. Honor is like gravity. When you think about in space where there is no gravity, you ever seen that people trying to hold together, things are just floating around oh, and people just slowly are moving away. They're fighting to get close, but they just keep being pulled away. It's because there's no gravity. But on the earth, gravity is holding everything down right now. And honor is what holds all of our relationships together. But when jealousy gets in, it gets really, really hard to honor the other person. Did you know Queen Elizabeth, for the last 60 years of her life, did not have a driver's license? She had somebody drive her around all the time. She didn't even have to drive. For the last 60 years of her life, get this, she did not even open one door. There was somebody always going before her and opening a door. Because she was a queen and she had a position of honor. I wonder what it would look like in all of our relationships, if we were to restore honor in them? What would it look like in our marriage relationships if we were to restore honor? And let me just say this. You may say to yourself, well, that's not the person. They're not the person they used to be. What can I say? Neither are you. Well, somebody said amen to that. I like that. Oh, that's a good one. Neither are you. Come on, you're with me. I know you are. If you can't honor the person, then honor the position they hold in your life. Because right choices bring right emotions. And if you honor the position, right, and you honor it, even if you don't think they deserve it, the emotions and the feelings of honor will catch up with you over a period of time. What would it look like to honor to open a door? What would it look like to honor with words on a regular basis? To restore honor, to stand up when they enter the room, to open doors. Honor. Honor. Spirit of jealousy. The next one is this, and I don't like this one. This is the spirit of anger. The little fox of anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. No one is ever born angry. That means this, that somebody is making them angry. and uh, It is a reactionary emotion. It is a response to something. And can I say, often when anger's loose, it rarely ever matches the offense. It seems like it's just a small thing that turned into a big thing. In fact, anger, when you look at it, really, I think of a pot boiling over. It's things on the inside that just spill out. It's almost as if it's unpredictable, isn't it? Anger. They say water boils at 212 degrees, but have you ever met someone that seems like they're always living at 211 degrees? They're just one degree. I mean, you just look at them wrong. Boom, it's on. You say it in the wrong tone. You didn't mean it that way. Boom, there it is. You know, anger often manifests itself, watch this, in, in cussing, in accusations, in negativity. Come on. Um, and it's unpredictability. Let me say this. When it comes to anger, it's not everybody's job around you to keep you from being angry. It's not their job. Well, if you wouldn't do that, I wouldn't get angry. No, 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 no. I'll just say this. If all of your relationships are being torn down and they're just being destructive, and they seem like there's always this something going on in all those relationships, well, there's only one thing all those relationships have in common. And that's you and if you're wondering what the problem is look no further I'm telling you it is you that's what it is here's what the Bible says about anger in the book of Proverbs it says an angry person stirs up dissension and a hot tempered one commits many sins Proverbs 29 11 says this a foolish person gives full vent to their anger, but a wise person keeps themselves under control. Here's the one I would say here. Deal with anger before it costs you everything. Can I just say that again? Deal with anger. Stop making excuses for it. Deal with it before it costs you everything. It's the truth. Get help. Get a mediator. Get some counseling. You know what I've learned in life is this, is that often when it comes to anger, it's often rooted in unresolved pain from our childhood. Age is no guarantee of maturity. You can be older in age and adolescent, adolescent in your emotional maturity. You're stuck at a level in life where the trauma and the pain hit your life. You know, my mom, when I came into marriage, and you know, you would think growing up in the same church, knowing each other for, you know, a decade before we got married, that, that we wouldn't have any issues. You'd think we would know each other well. Well, I remember about seven years into our marriage, my wife said to me, you know what? Our marriage is in trouble, and I'm not the problem. You are. How many are thankful for a godly wife? Come on, there you go. I said, come again. <laughs> uh, our marriage is in trouble. Bags had been packed. I'm pastor of a church. And listen, I'm not the problem, you are. So I found myself in counseling. My mom had been married six times to five different men. Oh, I didn't know my dad until I was 12. My mom was raped in our home when I was eight, she was gone. I was raised by my grandparents. And my, my, father, or my grandfather was hardly ever in the home because he was working away. So I had a lot of issues. And I remember I, she would say things, well, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't feel nothing. I remember sitting there with a counselor, like, what are we doing here? And I was like, I don't know what I feel. I, what, do you, how, what does that even matter? And I kind of like not feeling stuff. So I had, I, what I had to do for a couple of months is carry a piece of paper around that had 100 emotions to it in five different categories. And anytime somebody asked me how I felt, I'd say, hold on. I'd pull up my piece of paper. hmm No, it's in this category, okay. I'd say, that's the word I feel right there. That's the one. I had to learn how to process and identify my emotions in a, in a proper way. But let me just speak to, if I can, to the anger part. Because when it comes to anger, there's always a moment, isn't there? Should I say it or should I not? And, you know, let me give you a good phrase to use, and I want you to repeat this after me. Are you ready? I'm going to teach you something. You're going to say this, I promise you. I'll give you permission to use it. Hold up. Say it after me. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait. Some may right. I know that's bad English, but it works. <laughs> Hold, up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait. Some may right. This happened, on, this is a, a st- national park called Sleeping Bear Dunes. You're about to see it on the screen here. I love going to this park. It's awesome. Beautiful view. There's all kinds of sand dunes. And this is the biggest sand dune they have right here. That is 450 feet down, 90-degree angle. It is, um, it'll take you about two, ou- two minutes to get down and about two hours to get back up. Yes, that's steep. And every year there are people who go down that and up that. But there are on average 100 people per year that laugh and jump and have a good time going down. But about halfway up, they realize, I can't make it. They have to call the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard, they come in. They have to either go down it or come up it to rescue them. 100 people on average, to the tune of $3,000. That means that national park made $300,000 per year on people who had a whole lot of fun going down but couldn't get back up. You know what somebody should have said to them at the beginning of that hill? They're looking down, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. You know, that's the way there's always that moment. You're about to say it. Think about it. Ooh, I'm, It's going to be a whole lot of fun to say it. I'm going to feel better in a moment. But I may have to spend a lifetime trying to get back up and repair that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And if I would have just, whoop, hold up. Wait a minute. So I may right here. I can't go any further. I'm not going down that anymore. No. Here's the fourth one. The fourth little fox that'll get in. We have to be careful about. And this one is ambition. Ambition. And this one we don't often think about, but it really is something that we have to worry about. Ambition is this. Ambition is climbing the ladder of success at any cost. It is a strong desire to succeed, which at at best is not wrong, but it's wrong when it is uh, gone about in a self-serving way. Ungodly ambition says this. It will use you to get what they want. It will politicize you as long as I can get a step higher. That's the ambition. Ambition says, I want more from you than I'll take more than what I want to give to you. You know, somebody said this to me once. I know the top three reasons that marriages end. I want you to write these down. This will save you. Number one is selfishness. How many know that's true? Number two is selfishness. Write that down. And number three, what do you think that one is? selfishness right there ambition it can play out in our relationships listen to what this says in proverbs because really ambition is about what you choose to pursue in your life proverbs 21 21 says whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life righteousness and honor notice that it says here whoever pursues righteousness that's a virtue I just was talking with my wife on the way here, we were listening to something and they highlighted um, two kinds of virtues, eulogy virtues versus resume virtues, because what you pursue in life determines what pursues you. Resume virtues are skills-based, experiences-based, they're all based on what you do. You the virtues are character virtues. They're f- focusing on who you become. Can I just say, life will take on new meaning to you when you focus on who you want to be at the end versus on what you want to accomplish in a lifetime. Because in the end, they will not talk about your accomplishments, they'll talk about your character and how that character played out in close relationships with them. And when you're in, and often when ambition is in a relationship, let me, I'll say it this way is ambition leads to loneliness when it's not in an appropriate way because you'll get what you want, but you'll end up being lonely. Isaiah 5, 8, and 10 says, What sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted, and watch this, and you live alone in the land. Ambition, get this, this is true, is often rooted in our insecurities. We're trying to compensate on something that we feel like we lack and we need to get. It's rooted in our insecurities. There is a psychological theory called the looking glass theory. And that says this, we are shaped, we are molded, we will become what the most important person in our life thinks about us. Whatever their thoughts are, their words are, those are the ones, the identity we embrace and that is the reality of our experience. It's the looking glass theory. And so many times, what can happen is that the wrong voice and the wrong perspective gets to have the most control over us. You know, I said my experience growing up without a father. In, my, in our marriage, probably the thing that we had to overcome the most was this insecurity that I had to because of the absence of fathers, men who were older than me that I esteemed in the high places. I valued their perspective, their words, And their thoughts about me more than I valued that of my own wives. And it created, I'm winning in my profession, but I'm losing in my marriage. But what it was rooted in was an insecurity. Can I just challenge you? In an an earthly way, make that looking glass person your spouse. But in a heavenly way, make that looking glass person God. Because a healthy Christ-esteem is a healthy self-esteem. View your life through the lens of Jesus. Now, how does that play out in a practical sense? Seek to serve. I want you to write that down. Seek to serve. And learn to flip the script of your power. Because often when we're ambitious, it's a grab for power. It's a grab for identity. It's a grab for control. I remember when this hit me really hard. One day I was, um, I had preached this sermon that I thought was the greatest sermon I'd ever preached. Come on. I was God's man of power for the hour. Angels came down and descended when I was preaching. You heard the heavens open. ah, And there it was, okay? It was awesome. I'm, I'm on a glow. I'm driving home. I mean, I'm in the afterglow. I'm like, great. I can't wait to walk in the door and tell my wife how amazing that was. She was home with a sick child. I walk in the door, and I don't eat. You ever had those moments where you reach for the doorknob, and the door just opens? It's almost as if they were waiting for you to come home, and she was. Opens the door, and walk in, and she doesn't hardly say anything to me. She has a, a bottle of cleaner and a thing of paper towels, and she just says to me, your turn. Go up to the bedroom, and look what your daughter has done. And my daughter had there, and she had filled her dapper with something and decided to use that as a way to color all over the bedroom, okay? So I was just amazed in that moment. She'd been cleaning it for a while, but I thought, man, here I went from, ah, to the next I went from the pulpit to cleaning poop on the thing in the bedroom here. How quickly you can go from here to down here. You know, there are things in our, often in our professions where we're called to leave, but in our relationships, we're called to serve. So how do you change the power dynamics? Instead of giving your opinions, why don't you ask questions? Why don't we let more people make the decisions, even if it's not the ones that you want? Instead of going first, go last. Do the things, the jobs that you think are beneath you. The things that you think are for other people, you do them. And change the power dynamics in your relationships. Seek to serve. And the last one as we close is this. Is division. This is the last fox that um, Solomon gives to us. And division is this. These are people who cannot have normal conversations. They are entrenched in an idea, a perspective, or a position And they've grown to value the position, the idea, the perspective more than the relationship. And they are no longer teachable. They no longer have a listening or a hearing ear. This is one that I think we struggle with here in the United States because many of us, even I think this has hijacked Christianity in the United States. Politically, we will hold to a position and become entrenched in it more than we value the relationships that we have. It's the truth, and it's bringing great division, and we're no longer hearing one another. Jude 1.19 says this way, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded people who are devoid of the Spirit. Divisions, when we cause divisions, it really means there is a lack of the Holy Spirit's presence in you. Because when the Holy Spirit is present, get this, One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace, peacemaking. He's a joiner. He brings people together. Galatians 6 says this, if you will walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you will walk in unity. The Bible says this, if your ways please the Lord, the paths you walk on, the Scripture says, he will make even your enemies to be at peace with you. So if you're unable to get along with people, especially God's people, that means that you're not getting along with the Holy Spirit. And if you can't get along with the Holy Spirit, man, then there are deeply embedded issues that you need to deal with. Because when this is out of alignment, everything will get out of alignment here as well. This is so important. Listen to this thought I have in Proverbs. It says, those who promote peace, they have joy. So here's the principle. Take the high road and choose the relationship over the opinion. You don't have to win every argument. There's nothing better sometimes than a well-placed, well-chosen loss. Sometimes you can win and still lose. There's a story of a man by the name of General Pyrrhic. He was in one of the greatest armies in the world, led by Hannibal, a Carthaginian uh, soldier. And one day, he wins this important battle, and they're on top of a mountain, and it came at a great cost. And Hannibal comes in, and they're surveying the landscape, and he congratulates his general, General Pyrrhic, on winning, but he says this, General, I congratulate you on your win, but I must say we must have no more victories such as these, because you've won the battle, but you put us in a place where we could ultimately lose the entire world, because it costs too much. That's the thing with these deeply held opinions, and they're not biblical, they're not convictions. They're just your opinion. And when they get in there, get this, they breed division. Jesus had to wrestle with this, with God his Father. He had an opinion on how things should be done, but what did he say? Father, take this comfort from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He had to die to it. He had to surrender to it. And when it comes to division, how we deal with that is we have to have a resurrendering of our hearts. You know, prayer is the most intimate thing you can do in this world. When you pray, you become intimate with God. There's a closeness that comes when you pray. Between you and him. But watch this. Not only do you get close with him, if you pray with other people, you get closer together. I'll prove it to you. I want you to see a triangle. I think we got this on the screen here. A triangle here. In the context of a marriage, a husband and wife. If they will both pursue the Lord who is above, as they go higher and closer to him, what's happening without them even knowing it is they're getting closer and closer together. But let one pursue the Lord and let one stay down here. What happens is there's a distance and a gap that's creating. I'm not saying you have to do it the same way. Do it your own way. But the thing we can't do, well, I'm going to let my spouse, they're the, she's the praying one in the family. I earn the money and she prays. No, 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 no. Do not forfeit the spiritual condition of your own life to the other. You both pursue the Lord and God will restore unity and intimacy into your marriage. I'm going to close with this thought. In the early 1900s, they were challenging the boundaries of flight. How far can you go on one tank of fuel? And I remember a guy flew out of New York and landed in Ireland across the Atlantic on one tank of fuel, Charles Lindbergh, early 1900s. Immediately after that, the military was experimenting with all of their stuff, trying to see how far they could go at the end of World War I, World War II. There was a, a pilot who was, right after Charles Lindbergh, was doing the same thing. And in one of the military planes, he gets out over the Atlantic, just about an hour or so in, when one of the panels comes unscrewed. And he sees in the paneling, just below the instruments, that some rats had got into the plane. And that they were eating the electrical wires. And he knew that he had a problem because if if he didn't deal with the rats, They were gonna eat the wires and there was gonna be a separation and he was gonna be flying blind with no gauges. So he begins to radio with control center and they're brainstorming, how do you deal with the rats? And one guy, right before he's about to turn back, he's only got a couple minutes before he's gotta make a decision. One guy says, I have an idea. Why don't you throttle up to a higher elevation, a higher atmosphere where the air is thinner? and you can breathe and the rats can't. So in a last ditch effort, the the pilot throttles up and goes to a higher elevation, and sure enough, one by one, those rats began to, I'll say it nicely, begin to expire over and over again. And the only thing he did, watch this, was change the atmosphere. Was change the atmosphere. Sometimes, listen guys, The only thing our relationships may need is a change of atmosphere where we throttle up and get closer to the Lord. And there's a whole atmosphere that surrounds the person of the Holy Spirit. And these foxes that were sneaking in, well, watch this. They begin to be suffocated. And they begin, that's the greatest way to protect your marriage is to protect the atmosphere around your marriage and your relationships. So what I want us to do, I want us to have a throttle up moment as we close and change the atmospheres in our lives. So with that in mind, if you're able to stand, would you stand all over this room? If you're watching online, just create some space where you can respond here as well. If you don't mind, I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes to create a sacred moment here, some sacred space. And I'm gonna ask you 100% in this room, would you be willing to put your hands out in front of you, palms up, even if you're watching in line, put your hands out in front of you, palms up, would you do that? It's a sign of your humility. Humility magnetizes the grace of God. And I'm going to speak to those who aren't yet in Christ, who need a relationship with Jesus. You've never experienced what it means to be forgiven of your sins. You've never made that decision to cross that faith line and put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. But you're in the room, or you're watching online, and you realize this is your moment. The Bible says, "Today is the day of salvation. Those who who call upon Him shall be saved." You may have been at uh, the winter retreat. And you felt the Holy Spirit pulling on you, tugging on you. And God had done a great work in you. And I just sensed there's a young lady in this room right here. God was really speaking to you over in the retreat, but now he wants you to respond in this moment because there's been some little foxes that have gotten into your heart. And right here in this moment, you can surrender your heart to Jesus. If that's you and you're in this room or you're watching online, just say, Jesus, I decide to serve you. I invite you to forgive me and to live in my heart, to save me and to cleanse me, to make me new. In many ways, I'm asking you to move in, to reconstruct my heart. I ask you to save me and to cleanse me. There's no magic words. It's the faith behind that commitment that makes it real. And now as you're praying, may the Holy Spirit come and seal this moment for you that you know that you've been born again. You went from darkness to light. And if you're watching online at some point, you just write in there so that we know it was you and we can give you some help and how to build your relationship with Christ. Just write the word decide in that chat box at some point. But now for those who are in Christ, you're in this room. Come on. Let's have a moment right here. An atmosphere-changing moment. I'm going to ask you to take what's in your head and your heart now and put it into words. And if you don't mind, let's just have the volume of the piano go up a little bit higher if we could. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to whisper, to begin to talk to the Lord in a normal voice. And we're going to begin to go through a process here of entering the presence of the Lord. Just say, Jesus, I enter into your presence. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I desire you. In your words, just begin to tell him how much he means to you. Would you do that? Maybe it's been a long time since you sensed the presence of the Lord. This is your moment to encounter the Lord. You're throttling up right here. He wants to meet with you more than you want to meet. Take a moment. Say, Jesus, I draw near to you. I welcome you. You have everything that I need, Lord. I'm yours. I'm yours. And now what I want you to do is just to move from just that to, I want you to go to a spirit of praise now. Where with your words, you just begin to thank him for the good things in your life. I want you to get two or three things that you can just say, thank you, Jesus, for this. And make sure they include people near you, next to you, people in your your life. Gratitude reorients the heart. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. Come on, teenager, there's a new spirit being put in you today. Some of you were filled with the Holy Spirit at this camp. Now you're going to have a spirit of praise in you. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for my family. I thank you for these things. It's the password into the presence of God is thanksgiving. I give you thanksgiving, Lord. Oh, I welcome you. I thank you, thank you, Lord. Don't be in a hurry into the presence of the Lord. He wants to meet with you right now. That's it. And now I want you to invite him into your heart. But how we're gonna do that is twofold. First, let's ask him to remove some things. Ask him to remove strife from you. Come on. Remove from me the spirit of strife, the fox of strife, the arguing and the bitterness. Remove it from me. Help me to be quick to forgive, Lord. If there's anything you need to release right now in the presence of the Lord, let it go. I let it go, Lord, right now. A spirit of jealousy, of competition. Lord, move me from scarcity to abundance. Or spirit of anger. Come on. Remove from me a spirit of anger. Ask him, be that direct. Remove from me a spirit of anger, Lord. Give me a spirit of self-control over my anger. I make no excuses for it. Ask him to heal you right now of long-standing wounds from an absent father and absent mother. Heal me, Lord. That's it. Ambition. Oh, to remove from me insecurities, Lord. Lord, I'm tired. I'm exhausted on this treadmill. I'm trying to earn somebody's favor. I'm trying to make them happy when really I just need to please you, and you're already pleased with me. Ambition. And now division. Lord. Remove from me an unteachable spirit. One that always has to be right. A spirit of division. Now, come on, church. I want you just now to turn it around and ask for the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Fill my life. I receive you, Holy Spirit. Say those words. Holy Spirit, I receive you. I receive your love. Your joy, your peace this morning, this afternoon, right here. Your healing virtue, Holy Spirit, I receive you. And you may pray in a known language or a heavenly language right now, but just welcome the Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. He's a quickening spirit. He's a healing spirit. Holy Spirit, fall upon me fresh and new, Holy Spirit. You're doing this right now. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. And now here's what I want us to do as we close. I want you, if your spouse is with you, grab them by the hand. If they're not with you, that's okay. I want you to take those hands that are in front of you and now just slowly lift them up to the Lord all over this room. Teenagers, everybody lift them up. If your spouse is with you, join hands and lift them up together. Can you do that? Now here's what I want for 30 seconds. Come on, I don't care how old you are, young you are. Come on, listen, we're the church. This is the easiest thing for us to do, just to worship the Lord. I want you to throttle up and even in a louder tone, begin to just worship the Lord. Can we do that? All over this place, just one, two, three, come on. I want your spouse to hear you worship the Lord. I want your your teenagers who are behind you to see you worship mom, dad. Come on, you're taking your marriage, you're throttling up now in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't matter what's going on at home and in your heart. Begin to magnify him. I glorify you. I exalt you. I lift you up. Lord, I know the little foxes are there, but they can't breathe in your atmosphere. I'm going higher. I'm going higher this afternoon, this morning. I'm taking it to another level, Lord. I'm taking our family. I'm taking the atmosphere. Let it change in my home. Let it change in my heart. I glorify you, Lord. I magnify you. That's it an atmosphere. I just worship the Lord. I glorify your name. And now I want you, as we close, just, we're going to sing it just maybe one time through here, two times through. Let's sing that song that we clothe, the glory, honor, power to your name. Come on, let's just lift our voices and sing this together as a church, as a family, as a partner, couples.